I've talked to you, I talked to you a little bit last week, if you were here when we were going through um, Jeremiah, about the job of prophets. You remember that job? The job of prophets in the Bible, and if you look at your Bible and you get to Psalms, and then go after Psalms until you hit the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, Luke, and John, almost all of that stuff in that section between Psalms and the end, most of that stuff is prophets. And so it's, it's important for us to think about who these prophets are. They have a job to do that God has given them. And their job is to um, uh, speak God's truth into the lives of his people when his people have forgotten his truth. Prophets are called by God to come and um, speak God's word in such a way that they call people back to obedience and they also tell people the consequence for disobedience. And so last week we heard from Jeremiah. This week we hear from Habakkuk or Habakkuk or however you want to pronounce it. Um, But this prophet is a little different. This text is a little different because Habakkuk is a little different. See, if you look, actually, it's only three chapters long. It's a pretty quick book, so you can turn your page over if you're on Habakkuk 3 right now. You can turn it back to the beginning of the book. You're going to see the structure of the book. It looks very much like some other prophetic books, but there's a big twist in there. The first part of chapter 1 is Habakkuk's complaint to God for seeing the world around him full of injustice and disobedience. And you see that heading there, Habakkuk's complaint. And immediately following that is what you often see in prophetic text. After a complaint comes, you have God's response, right? You see that there. And God's response to the complaint of Habakkuk is to say, Habakkuk, I see the injustice too because I am the God of justice. And I will take care of that. In fact, I have a plan. And my plan is to send another nation to come to Israel and be my judgment upon them and to bring uh, the, 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 the nation into Israel that they might wipe away the injustice. They might take people into slavery, that they might even kill and destroy while they are here because I hate injustice so much. And Habakkuk listens to that, and uniquely him versus most other prophets, he don't like that. He's he's not a fan at all of what he's heard. Because he understands that God has said to his people, I am a covenant God, I am a God of love, I am a God who will be your God always, and I will keep my promises. And Habakkuk hears God saying, I'm going to judge my people with another nation. And Habakkuk says, God, that, that, that doesn't fly with me. Because the people that you're going to use to judge Israel are even more evil than Israel is. How is that fair? How is that right? How is that just, God, that there are people even more evil than us that you are using in order to come and show your judgment upon us? What about them? What about, what about their disobedience? What about their foolishness? What about their idolatry? What about their idolatry, uh, adultery? What about their violence? What about their injustice? 
does that work, God, that we are on the short end of the short end of the stick? And God says, again, we see Habakkuk's second complaint followed by God's reply. And he says, Habakkuk, please understand, I am always the God of justice, not just with my people, but everywhere. I am always a God who keeps his promises. And if there is violence, I judge it. If there is sin and disobedience, I judge it. I address it. I will transform it. And those people who will come and weigh, weigh out my judgment against Israel are also under my judgment. I will take care of my justice, Habakkuk. Now, we hear that, and we might still have some big questions, and Habakkuk still is sort of working it through, but at the very least, something strikes a chord with him. And so we get chapter 3 here, which is Habakkuk's prayer, that is a response to hearing God's answer that I am a God of justice. I am a God who takes care of his promises. I am a God who loves my people, even in the difficult ways that I will and even in the difficult things that I do, I love my people. Let's dig in to how Habakkuk is processing God's response. It begins with these words. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. With all this stuff that comes before in chapters 1 and 2, Habakkuk has a glimpse of the challenge of, of what God is dealing with when he's dealing with injustice in Habakkuk's world. And when he catches a glimpse that God is taking care of it, when God is at work doing his extraordinary transformation and redemption of some really difficult, bad, ugly, painful things, when Habakkuk catches a glimpse of that, he can do nothing but worship. Maybe you've been in that place too. Maybe you've gone through difficult circumstances. Maybe you've had challenges or, or burdens or difficult relationships or, or hard things or sicknesses, diagnoses or broken relationships in your life. And you have wondered and asked the question, why God? Why, what, what's going on here? Why is this happening? Why are you allowing this to happen? And all of a sudden, something comes. Something extraordinary comes into your situation. Maybe you see it somewhere. Maybe you've seen it sometime where all of a sudden God shows up in a way that you're like, oh, oh yeah, I, I see I get a God glimpse of what he's done in the difficult circumstances of my life. Anyone ever had those moments where all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh yeah, there's it. there it is. There's God showing up. There's God showing up in this hard thing. And when you do, when you have those moments, I've had those moments when you see them and experience them, you come to a place where you're like, man, is God amazing. Oh, 
boy, he does things in extraordinary, complex, and in ways that I don't always understand, but when I see him at work, when I see what he does, it's like, wow, praise God. That's where Habakkuk is as he begins this passage. But then we start to get into some of the challenging stuff, some difficult things to understand. Let's jump in, verse three. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Now, you read that little portion of the text, and you go, yeah, that's God, right? It says, glory covered the heavens. Praise filled the earth. Splendor like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Yeah, that's God. I I love hearing about that sort of God of power. But then we get this. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled. And the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of cushion in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. And we look at that and we go, wait, hold on here. I like the glory God. I like the wonder God. I like the God I can stand in awe of in. That God I can handle. Plague and pestilence go before him? What? I don't understand. Help me understand, God, why you would use those harsh, difficult, challenging ways of suffering as your presence on the earth. Why would you do that, God? Well, here's, here's, here's something that we know about God. We know that God always wants the best for us. Do we know that? Do you know that? God always wants the best for his people. I hope you know that and understand that. So if God wants the best for his people, what is the best for his people? Well, if, the best, if he wants the best for his people, he wants to give them himself, right? God is the best for someone. And if that person, a person that he loves, Alejandro, whom he loves, if Alejandro doesn't fully and completely embrace that God is the best for him and has wandered into something else, wandered into some other place, wandered into some sort of other belief or understanding, is it loving of God... To say to Alejandro, guess what? That place over here where you're going or you're thinking or you're doing your thing, I'm going to mess that up for you. Is that loving of God? Is it loving of God? Because God wants the best for Alejandro. He wants God, God wants Alejandro to experience the fullness of God's presence in his life. And the best thing that he could do is destroy anything that is not God's presence in his life, right? So for us to understand that in this world that we live in, if the best for us to experience is closeness in relationship with God, which is the best place to be, for God to show up in our life and in the lives of those in our world and say, I am willing to break things in your world. I am willing to mess stuff up in your world that is not me. Anything that is not me, I will mess it up so that you will be moved back, compelled back, drawn back to those things that are me because those things that are me are life. They're not death. 
Everything else is death. Everything else. Does that make does does that show God's love for his people? It's hard to grasp. You mean that God loves me so much he's going to mess up my life and I'm going to go, "Uh-huh. He loves you that much." He loves you that much that if you are an addict, he will mess up your addiction. He will give you a lot of hard days in order to bring you back to himself. If you are in broken relationship, he will mess up and cause the difficulty of that broken relationship to have pain in order for you to be to a restored relationship. That's how much God loves you. And yes, it hurts. Yes, it causes us to experience a level of pain and brokenness. But the whole time that we're in that place, God is with us and he's saying, I love you. And I'm not leaving you. And I'm not going to forsake you. Yes, plague and pestilence come, but they never come without God's presence alongside them. I graduated from seminary with a a couple students who are in prison ministry. And it's sort of one of those unwritten rules that if you go to seminary with somebody and if they're a part of a a ministry group or a ministry movement that you you have to get their emails and newsletters. So I get emails and newsletters from two guys who are in prison ministry all the time, Andy and Rick. Andy is doing work in Michigan. Rick is doing work in Iowa. God bless them both. So they're doing prison ministry in these contexts. And I recently read a story about Peter in one of their newsletters. I can't remember which one it was. Peter uh, is an inmate. Peter's been an inmate for over 20 years. Peter um, is never getting out of prison. He is life without the possibility of parole. You'll understand why in a moment. Peter grew up very difficult, difficult life. He was in a messed up home. There was violence, abuse in the home, a lot of poverty. Um, There was drug use, alcoholism, all that other sort of stuff in that he was surrounded by. And, And many of you know those stories and you know how difficult and hard it is. Peter was in that hardness of life as a child. And um, he had been in and out of some juvie stuff, had had some run-ins with the law over a a period of time, Um, but uh, it all came to a head when he was 19. He was 19 years old. His father was still in his life and in the home, but his father was very abusive to Peter. And on this particular night, um, Peter's father and a friend of his were taking turns at Peter. They were hitting him, they were making fun of him, they were saying harsh words and and difficult things to Peter, and something broke in Peter. And he went back to his father's bedroom, and he got out his gun, and he brought the gun back into the living room, and he killed both his father and his father's friend dead. Horrible, right? We hear that and our heart breaks. Nobody... It's a horrible place for anyone to be. Peter realizes right away how bad this is. Drops the gun, runs out of the house, and he's on, he's on the run for about two weeks. He, of course, eventually gets caught. And um, unfortunately, because of sometimes the way the legal system works, um, there was no mitigation. There was no allowance for the violence that Peter had experienced in his home. It was a 
like no understanding that he almost he was experiencing PTSD even in that moment of of having the gun and 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 shooting his father and his friend there was no understanding of that so it was clear jail never getting out and Peter went into prison, and as often happens in prison, because there are many, there are a number of different ways that the gospel goes into prisons. Sometimes the gospel goes in through Bible studies. There are people who are part of this, uh, in this church, who are part of Crossroads Bible Institute. It's a, it's a way to touch prisoners with the gospel. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes there are chaplains in prisons. Sometimes there's, there's, uh, groups that come. I've been actually, I've spoken at a prison group once, um, to, to just share the truth of the gospel to a group of inmates. So different ways that the gospel goes into the darkness of prisons. And Peter would hear the gospel and hear about God and, 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 you know, be in these places where it was happening. And he said, I want nothing to do with it. I want nothing to do with the gospel. Why would I want anything to do with the gospel? The gospel is, is, is from a God who allowed my childhood to happen, who allowed me to be in a home with violence and drug use and alcohol use. I was beaten. I was hit. How is that a loving God? And I hear that and I go, oh, fair question. I don't, I don't, I don't know, Peter. I, uh. and Peter said for 15 years, that was me. Just angry. How could there be a loving God who would allow that to happen? And then something happened. Something broke through and it hit Peter directly in the heart. And it was the love of God. And here's what Peter said. He said, for five years, and it was it was beautiful because it spoke to my heart and spoke to my life. And it said to me that truth that spoke to me, that presence that said to me, that God that spoke to me said, You are loved. And Peter said that made a huge difference in me, but it wasn't, I, weren't, I wasn't figured out yet. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't whole yet because I thought to myself, God can love me. Okay, but how am I worthy of that? How is it possible that God could accept me? I killed two men. Their lives are over. They don't exist on this earth anymore because I looked them straight in the eye and pulled the trigger and shot them dead. How can God accept me despite me having done that? Which I look at that and I go, that's out of my league too. I don't know. I, I, yeah. Sorry, Peter. And he said, and Peter fi- said, finally, God changed my phrase. And the phrase that he changed was, God loves me. No matter what. No matter what I've done. No matter the events that put me in prison. No matter my thoughts even now. No matter the brokenness in my life that continues. God loves me. But what's interesting, and it speaks to what we're talking about this morning. Is that Peter said, I couldn't get to that place of saying that phrase. God loves me no matter what. Until I went through all that 20 years, I wasn't ready. I wasn't there yet. 
But in those 20 years, little things came in. Little moments happened. A Bible study that said this, it's a seed planted in my head that was truth. It just took a long time for it to grow. There was a, a radio thing in one of the, 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 the kitchens when I was working, and it was Christian, and it planted a seed in my heart. It just took a long time for it to grow. And he said, I hate prison. I hate it. But I am so grateful for each moment that I have been here because it has been a place where God has had the opportunity to work on me and show me himself in a way that I could not have heard except here. Because Peter is stubborn. Does that even remotely sound familiar? Peter is stubborn. Who here is stubborn? No, all of you put your hand up. Those of you who ain't putting your hand up are just stubborn. It took a mess in people's, people's, or Peter's life for God to get through. And the challenge is, is it's the exact same way with us. Oftentimes, it's in the messes, right, that God speaks to us the most. When things are good, when things are great, when things are easy, when things are fun and fine, yes, we can experience God's presence. Yes, we know God's blessing. But in order for us to experience change and transformation, what oftentimes has to happen? A mess. A brokenness. Something that God has taken away and said, no, that's not me. That's death. I want you here in life. And I will take that thing away because I love you so much and I want the best for you. And that's over here. Because we're stubborn. That's what we need. God's work to transform us through the difficulties that we experience, the pestilence, the plague, the suffering. Of the text. But the word continues. Verse 8. Now, this is a very easy part of the passage to understand, so I won't have to give you much explanation. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows, you split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. Now, I don't need to spend much time with that because you all get it, right? Just shake your head no. I don't understand. This is one of those passages that we look at and we go, huh? If we're doing Project 119 and we're looking at this passage, we're probably thinking, okay, I'm going to the other part that I do understand because I can get something there. This is a hard text. What does it mean? Well, I can tell you, you probably don't understand it until you understand some things about what God is coming against. What if I said to you that God hates idolatry? Would you agree with that? 
He hates us worshiping other gods, right? Any other god, God hates us worshiping. And in the Old Testament time of Israel, there was another god. His name was Yom. And he was the god of water, the seas, the rivers, the streams, the waves. So when we read, were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? God's coming up against another God and he's saying, yeah, I'm ticked because that, that river, that God is taking people away from, my, from me. Was your wrath against the streams? Yes, I will be angry with anything that takes my people away. Did you rage against the street, sea, when you rode with your horses in your victorious chariots? When we read this text, we hear God coming up against those things that separate him from his people. And he's saying, I am violently angry against them and I will destroy them. But it doesn't end there because you have other gods, right? Other gods at that time. Gods of the sun and the moon. A little later on, right? Sun and the moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. God is coming against anything that is another God in the lives of his people and he's showing his angry because they are evil and death and God wants life for his people. But then it continues. Verse 13 says, you crush the leader of the land of wickedness. You ever heard of another nation worshiping its king? Historically, not long after this time, you get the rise of the Roman Empire. And Rome worshiped who? Caesar. Already, God is taking a stand and saying, anything that you could worship except me is a creation of mine, and I will be victorious over it. So in the Old Testament, it's water, it's sun, it's moon, it's other kings. But it doesn't end there. Because if you and I are going to worship pleasure, God will destroy it. If you and I are going to worship experience, if we are going to worship a political system, This part of me that wonders, is God destroying something that is being worshipped right now? I wonder that. Because there are people who worship at the altar of a a three-headed government, which we have. And God is saying, don't put that before me. Don't do that. Because it's not worth it. That's death. I come to offer you life. I am the only hope that you could ever have. And anything that is not God is his creation. And if we worship it, he says, you're worshiping something that only brings you to death. Come to me. Because for in me is life, John 10, 10, and life in abundance. And then we continue with the close of the passage. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. 
Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. And then it closes with musical instructions because this was a psalm to be sung by the people. We hear these words at the end and we get to that point and we hear hear Habakkuk saying, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in my Savior. And we hear that and, and they're beautiful words, but think about what came before them. Think about all this stuff that Habakkuk was talking about earlier. He is not talking about rejoicing in the Lord out of the, the, the plenty of life, the blessing of life. He is talking about rejoicing in the Lord out of the challenge, the difficulty, and the pain of life. And that's really hard to do. It's really hard to do that when, like Gene Wagner, you watched a mortuary take the body of your husband of 68 years away from your house earlier this week. It's really difficult to do that when you do come from that doctor's office where that word gets used and you feel like you've just been given a death sentence. It is really difficult to do that when you look at the lives of your family and see children and grandchildren or parents or cousins or aunts and uncles who walk away from Jesus into lives of brokenness and foolishness and death. It is really difficult to do that sometimes when we are victims of suicide in our lives that leaves way more questions than answers. And it leaves us broken and hurting. It is very difficult to do that when we live in a broken and harsh and difficult world. But here's the thing. Do we have any other choice? Is there anything else out there worth putting our hope in? Is there political powers? Well, that's going pretty well right now. (laughs) Celebrities? Wealth? Position? Are there anything, is there anyone who can stand up in this room right now and tell me anything besides the God of the universe who gave us the gift of life through the sacrifice and the death of Jesus Christ? Is there anybody in this room who can stand up and honestly and truthfully believe in anything else that is worthy to put our trust in? There's nothing. And yeah, it's, it's almost... It's like, what else do we have? I wish somebody else in the text would have said that. (laughs) Peter did. Because that's exactly what he knew. He knew, where else would we go, oh Lord? All this yuck, all this brokenness, all this suffering, all this pain. 
And, and, and we have you. And there's questions that we have oftentimes. And it's, it's not always clear to us. And sometimes it's really hard to believe in you. Because there's messes around us that don't have answers for us. But at the end of the day, where else would we go? Friends, for us as followers of Jesus Christ, who understand that we have been given something that gives us something to live into, for us to live in that place and realize that not only is it that there's nothing else, but what we do have offers us everything. God does keep his promises, even in the difficulty. You're going through suffering, you're going through brokenness, you're going through pain. God's promise is to you and to me, but I will never leave you. Yes, pestilence and plague are a part of my showing love to my world, but they do not come without me being present with them. And every time that you and I have experienced pain or loss or suffering, God has shown us to himself in some way if we have but eyes to see and ears to hear. And if we understand that, if we can grab hold of the fact that even in the most difficult circumstances, God has never left us, then maybe... Maybe like Habakkuk, we can come to the point of saying, yet I will rejoice in the Lord because he's with me. And if God is with me, then I have someone with me who loves me unconditionally, like Peter said. I have a God in my life through Jesus Christ who will never leave me nor forsake me. He will never let me go. Those are the promises of his word. I have a God who is with me and even in my brokenness makes his presence and his power known that I know that I'm going through it not alone. Friends, if that's you, if that's your experience, if that's how it is that you are walking, you're walking, you're experiencing pain, you have difficulty, you have, you have hurt, during the beginning of the next song, Beth and the praise team are going to come up in a moment. During the beginning of the next song, you got some time. You got some time just to say, Lord, I need you. I'm on like level six or level seven of pain, and I need you to come and meet me so that I can get that thought in my brain that you are with me, and that thought can move me to, to, to joy, to rejoicing in who you are because that's, a, that's an idea. That's not a feeling. Speak that idea to my brain so that I don't, I don't always have to feel you because I know you are with me. That time, those couple minutes during that song, that's your moment. If, and after the service, there'll be some people up here. Billy, Barbara, if you guys can come up here, we'll have an elder or two who come up here. We are here to pray with you. We are here to speak God's presence, God's joy, God's life into you. Come. Receive what God is offering to you in your pain so that you can, you can move forward understanding. He's with you. And if God is with you, you can rejoice in his presence. Let's pray. Father, hope of the world in Jesus Christ. We have difficulty. We have pain. Lord, we know suffering. 
We know difficult circumstances. And I, I know, Lord, there are people here who they have stuff, but it's very low on the scale. They're just, they're here, they're coming to give you praise and they're coming here to worship you. And I praise you for that, Lord. Still meet them in their moments where they need to understand your promises are real and your presence is powerful. And then there are others for whom that pain is a little bit more raw. They've had a difficult week. They've had challenging circumstances and they come here needing a word of comfort, a word of hope that you are present even in the difficulty. Lord, speak that to their heart. And then there are those who are here who are paralyzed in their pain, who are paralyzed by a circumstance that is too much for them, for whom, Lord, even sitting here is an act of faith because they, they don't know where else to go and what else to do. Lord, those meet as well. Meet through the power of your spirit, the work of Jesus Christ, that their hearts and lives might be transformed, renewed, given hope through Jesus Christ that they too might rejoice in his love. Because Lord, you've promised that you'll never leave us. Assure us, remind us, Make that promise real to us today. In Christ we pray, amen.